Hello, and welcome to the Artificial Podcast, with your host Nick Myers. Artificial Intelligence. Voice Recognition. Machine Learning. Robotic. Actionable Analytics. It is Nick's goal to help everyone understand how AI and voice technology are reshaping our lives both personally and within organizations. Your glimpse into the growing world of AI and voice first starts now. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Welcome to the Artificial Podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and I am here to help break down topics in artificial intelligence and voice first to show everyone how these technologies are going to impact our lives both personally and within organizations. The Artificial Podcast is brought to you by Red Fox AI, helping give brands a voice to the power of AI and voice assistant technology. Welcome to another episode of the Artificial Podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and yes, it is time for another guest episode. And again, I'm going to say I've been really looking forward to this guest, but truth be told, every guest that I have on the podcast and look forward to, but in particular, my friend Noelle, who will be joining us in this episode, is just such an incredible human being. She is probably one of the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes AI voice and bringing it all together under the umbrella of inclusivity and making sure that we're doing things the right way to democratize this for everybody. So a bit about Noelle. Noelle LaCherde is currently a Principal Project Manager for Microsoft Search, Assistant, and Intelligence. She is passionate about mindful leadership, work-life harmony, and empowering people to reach their potential through technology. She also specializes in helping brands develop AI and voice strategy through the AI Leadership Institute, which she founded. She spent many years as a trainer, architect, and evangelist for IBM, Red Hat, EMC, Amazon, and now Microsoft. She has taught thousands of people the value and important, importance of conversational AI, voice technology, democratizing AI, and mindful leadership, having delivered keynotes and hosting workshops at conferences and events around the world. Noelle, I'm so excited you're here. How's it going? Wonderful. Thank you so much. Wow. Every time I hear that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of stuff. No, you, <laughs> but thanks for having me. <laughs> no, I'm so happy you're here and you know your stuff. And I, I always... Every time I have a guest on too, I always kind of open it up by talking about how we met. And again, I think I'm trying to remember, I, I was following you on LinkedIn for a really long time and I actually learned a lot of stuff about voice by following you. And then ultimately we met up in Seattle at, I think it was, it was Digital Summit, right? That's right. That's right. Digital Summit. Yep. I saw that you were speaking and I was like, okay, this is my one shot. I actually finally get to meet her. And I don't know if you remember, yes, but I think as right, fact, got we done. Actually both yeah, yes. we were both talking about the same topic, and I'm like, wait, who is this guy? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I think I went to your session, and right when you got done, I ran to the back when you got done, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, my God, I'm so excited to meet you, and I started, like, freaking out, and I, I, I still have that picture, and I made it onto my birthday yes. here too. that's right. On LinkedIn. That's so. right. It was awesome. It was a, yeah, it was a great event, but it was even better because, yes, it's always, you know, that was not a voice specific or AI specific event. So we were right. kind of the lone voice, the lone voices, no pen intended. Um, right. And it was a marketing conference. AI. It was a That's marketing right. conference nonetheless, too. That's and right. we had a really, I remember us having a really good discussion. I think we talked about ethics. We talked about inclusivity and diversity. We talked about just so many different things. And I think that's when 
I was like, okay, I, I want to keep learning from you. And I'm, I'm so happy and grateful that we've been able to have, you know, a handful of discussions, even since that conference, I've been able to become friends here. So. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So thank you again for having me. This is great. Absolutely. So my first question I always ask is ultimately, you know, how did you get started in the AI space or I guess more specifically tech together or a combination of the two? Oh, sure. Um, well, tech in general, I was a long time ago, um, but I was in a situation where I had um, unfortunately become a single parent of uh, my son who had has Down syndrome. And he was like 18 months. I was pregnant with my daughter. I was like, holy, I was a, you know, a stay-at-home mom. And all of a sudden I was in a situation where I needed to go to work. Um, and so I looked around and technology, as many people do today, um, especially women, like they're like, oh, if I'm going to get into a field, mm-hmm. uh, man, tech seems pretty lucrative. And so that was literally what I did. Um, and I went to good old Barnes and Noble. Thank goodness they're still alive today. <laughs> um, but they, I mean, they, I'm very closely tied. And now thankfully my daughter is as well, but this is like my Mecca. I go there for all things I need. Uh, and I went there and every weekend for about two years, I went there, I would buy whatever book was available at that time. Java was extremely popular. Um, and I learned Java. I learned it enough to create, I basically created every sample application uh, that was in a book. And then like, I think I was using like head first Java um, and then thinking in Java and then uh, a bunch of others. And I ended up building a portfolio of my own code, if you will, uh, based on these samples. And I used that to get my first job. Um, And then that, I ended up actually getting hired by a contractor to IBM, which introduced me to IBM. And I stayed at IBM for 12 years. So, so that was, uh, that was how I got into tech in, in AI, a little bit differently. I stayed in tech. I love teaching, Mm -hmm. training, solutions, architecture. Um, I really enjoyed being in front of customers and I found, you know, being a solutions architect was an amazing way to do both be in front of customers and build at the same time. Um, but then, you know, I was, I got asked to join Amazon, uh, and they needed someone to run their training organization, um, help hire a bunch of instructors. Many of them are still very close friends of mine today. And I, so I built an instructor team. It took about a year to do it. And then Amazon Alexa was born, uh, which is right around 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, I basically jumped ship from that team that I built. And they were hugely supportive of it yeah. um, to go do this crazy, cool new thing. And I had never, you know, I think this is the one thing I always want to tell people um, is that I knew nothing about AI or natural language or machine learning at all um, when I applied for that role to become a solutions architect, which is really just, you know, helping customers implement yeah. Alexa voice service. Um, I knew nothing about it, but I was very passionate and a very quick study. So what's the first thing I did, right? I went to Barnes and Noble and I picked up <laughs> yes. any book I could find, right? Like on natural language. And luckily there were, um, you know, luckily for, for me and moving into voice first, like building natural language program uh, or, or machine learning models is not a new thing. We've actually been doing yeah. it for decades. So there are quite a few old textbooks on that. I bought, um, you know, AI, uh, a modern approach, which is like a classic textbook, huge book, and just started diving into it. Crazy stuff Love in there. It. Like, you know, for someone like myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, deep neural networks and 
building models from scratch, but it really helped me. It over-prepared me, honestly, for the work that I ended up doing at Alexa. But that's how I got in. Uh, and it was super exciting. And it's been all kind of a crazy ride since then. No, that is such a cool story. And I, I think of, uh, in one of our talks, too, I kind of asked you, I think, how you got into it. And I just, I love that you did the whole self-teaching thing. You were like, yes. okay, I want to learn about it. And you went and you bought the knowledge to do so. I mean, I right. I love it. And that's why I think I can relate with you so much because, you know, I, I don't have a tech background whatsoever. My background wasn't in, in marketing and comm. So, you know, in, in my case, I just went on the internet and started reading some white papers and articles right. and some videos. And it, that that's... I, I find the most effective way to learn something is isn't more so in a classroom setting anymore because we have so much access to information. So that's right. And even right. In yeah, case, I, I'm just, a huge believer of self-education. Yes, <laughs> obviously. <And laughs> I think it takes you much farther as we can, you know, especially in your case. I mean, look at everything you've done and everything you've gotten to do just because you took that first step and decided to teach yourself all that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, you know, one part is just having, of course, the aptitude to like, do that to go and say yes i'm going to buy this book and learn it um but the other thing is also just being willing to say yes there were so many other people that i chatted with during that like onboarding into alexa that i was like oh my gosh you should come you should join this it's gonna be amazing it's so like i've never seen anything like it and people would like for many reasons they would say no like no i just got a promotion i want to be loyal to this team mm -hmm. or no i you know, I've been doing this work for so long or no, I don't have a degree in that or no, I don't have a degree at all. Um, and I was just like, it was really unfortunate to me. So now I'm, you know, I'm trying to encourage now granted our, our system of recruiting, of getting jobs right. is actually quite tailored to those with traditional educational backgrounds. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, as a leader in tech, I, I try to be very, um, I actually found out through a huge study that was done um, by an engineer at Google that those who are self-educated, right, we tend to be more motivated. We yep. tend to be more collaborative. We tend to reach out to more people to solve a problem. So inclusion, like all these things that we are struggling to do in the areas that I work in, actually quite natural for someone like me who had, mm -hmm. like, that was the way I went about learning what I learned. So I find like having people that are self-motivated in this way are uh, critical to have on like any machine learning or any kind of AI type project because they do exactly what we're looking for. They create this kind of diverse collaborative culture mm -hmm. that ends up breeding the best um, end results. Well, right. And, and, you know, because the technology is is so new, you need that type of mindset to be able to innovate it, I'm sure. And I'm, you know, given a variety of the different things you worked on, I mean, I, I can't even imagine, you know, what it must be like developing some of these these initial projects that nobody's ever done before on the back end. And I, I agree completely that there there's something to be said about people again who decide to teach themselves and the intrinsic motivation that comes from that versus yes. somebody who's been through the traditional educational system. I I really truly wish more and more and it seems like more companies are starting to to pick up on that a bit, but I, I really wish it wasn't just so, oh you need to have a bachelor's or you need to have a master's because I'll tell you what I've I've met some incredible people who, you know, maybe they have less than bachelors, but they've done incredible things and they've worked on incredible projects. So I'm I'm really glad that's on your radar too and something you're thinking about. Right, exactly. And and one, you know, one tip to like your listeners, if anyone's in this field or looking to get into this field, is to apply anyway. Like totally act as if you never saw the line that said masters in this, you know, obviously if it's a research 
or, you know, like <laughs> healthcare or something that yeah. requires, you know, like there's, please take what I say kind of, you know, with a grain of salt. But I think there are so many opportunities in companies like Amazon and Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Apple, um, that they do this almost out of habit. And I actually think they copy and paste these job descriptions from like 15 <laughs> years ago. Um, but the reality is, is if you can sit down and show them code, code wins every time. Like if you can talk through your code, if you can talk through an algorithm you built from scratch, like this will win over any kind of weird yeah. false sense of security they get in saying, hey, if you have this degree, that's the only way we'll take you. So I often just disregard it and apply anyway and let them, you know, let them ask me um, and have that conversation as opposed to not even putting my hat in the ring, which I think is unfortunately um, what many people do. They Many people yeah. just see that line and they're like, oh, I'm out. Um, and I really think that, yeah, we just have to ignore it until the world realizes that it's a mistake to have it in there. And most companies, or I shouldn't say that, some very few companies have added the words or equivalent, right? Equivalent, right. equivalent yep. work experience. Equivalent. Co companies like Apple, Google um, have done this. And I'm just, and they've even promoted, there's articles that they've written that say your, um, you know, your degree is, a degree is not required to have a technical role at this company. Um, and they're advocates of that. And so I think that's great, but it's still, you know, they are the, these kind of big giants, there are thousands of companies hiring that do not have this practice. So I think, yeah, just mentioning it on here maybe will help someone um, take that leap uh, beyond their comfort zone and applying for something that maybe they didn't think they were qualified for, but most likely are. No, I, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with more with you. And I, I really hope the trend keeps up of, you know, that more or equivalent to show people yes. that, you know, even though you have a different skill set and you may not have gone through you know, the, the most cut and dry formal education process, you still should at least try. Cause if you worked on an incredible project personally, I think that speaks more volumes than just, again, learning in the traditional manner. You know, the more projects you can do, the more work you can showcase, the more you showcase your ability. And I think that weighs more than anything. So, but yeah. I do want to kind of transition gears now because there's yeah. a couple things I'm really excited to, to get your insight on given your experience in both AI and voice. And I'm just going to mention all the listeners here. She was featured on NBC Nightly News because I'm just so proud that I know Yay. her, that she accomplished this. <laughs> I just have, so to, awesome. I have to give her the kudos. So Noelle knows her stuff here when it comes to AI. But one of the things I, I really want to dive into, so I, I know you talk a lot about democratizing artificial intelligence. Do you maybe kind of want to open that up a bit and, and discuss that a bit here with people who may not be too familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the reasons I joined Microsoft was a big, you know, the day I started, we launched this huge AI campaign. Some of you may have seen it as this actor common who uh, does mm -hmm. this, you know, kind of theatrical presentation. And what I loved about this video series is that it was not just shown to, you know, developers. It wasn't just a video scene in a conference for dev developers. It was like something my dad saw that my kids saw, um, you know, that, and, and the idea is that we want to open the conversation about artificial intelligence, about the technology and its capability, and make sure everyone knows that it exists, and more importantly, um, make it easier for people to consume and use. So at Microsoft, we have a series of machine learning models that before used to just sit in research and, you know, in a research organization, research scientists, machine learning engineers, were all kind of working on it and using it. But no one else on the planet knew that these things even existed or that they were available. 
Um, and so part of Microsoft's kind of AI strategy was, man, wouldn't it be great if we could stick an API in front of these and make extremely complex use cases like facial recognition, like object detection, anomaly detection, um, prediction, uh, you know, like um, predictive maintenance. What if we could just make that as easy as a web service call? Something that any web developer or you know, application developer or mobile developer could do. And so that's really the heart of democratization yeah. of these models is how do we make it more accessible to more developers without the need to become a data scientist or a machine learning expert? That I actually had no idea that I, I, I think maybe I interpreted democratizing AI a bit differently than even how you just explained it. So essentially what, what the work has been doing and what you mean by this is in, instead of closing it off, you, like you said, you stick an API in front of a different model or a different algorithm to open it up to more people just, just so I understand too. Yeah, exactly. And, and of course with that, you know, I used to be super excited, or I am still, of course, super excited, but I was, <laughs> you know, I got on this soapbox of like democratization, AI for all, you know, and I was very happy to scream it from the rooftops. And then I became very cognizant and something we've talked about many times about, wait, wait a second, <laughs> if I'm going to open these models to everyone, now I feel kind of a sense of responsibility to share with them the consequences of these models being used in either incorrect or inaccurate ways. Like right. what happens if we use this data and its predictions to mischaracterize demographics or marginalized groups um, of people, it became very obvious to me that you can't just open something wide open and give everyone a chance to use it with that, without, and something Microsoft does very well as well, uh, backing it up entirely with a methodology for practicing those, mm -hmm. um, you know, practicing AI with responsible uh, and ethical strategies. So how do you, how do you view the future of this democratization as it seems to become more commonplace as, as we develop these different machine learning models and different algorithms and even more dense things that can work with even more data and, be, and you know, create even more yeah. intelligent programs. How do you think the concept of democratization is going to look as we kind of head into the future here? Well, one of the things I, you know, I think you probably, I don't know if you were able to go, I wasn't able to go myself, but I watched um, the Mars conference that Amazon put on and it was all about, of course, AI and robotics, but the CTO of Amazon, Werner Vogels, got on stage and he said, so he said a bunch of things, some things that I had more concern about than others, but <laughs> one thing that I resonated with completely was there's going to be fewer and fewer use cases where people will be building models from scratch mm -hmm. um, because companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, and soon Apple are, you know, exposing and giving uh, developers the ability to use their existing models. And even um, one of the things that Microsoft does is it lets you take their model as a baseline mm -hmm. and build on top of it. Yep. And so I really see, you know, the future, certainly over the next five years, is what we're going to see happen is more developers are going to realize how accessible these models are and the complexity of applications is going to expand today. I think one of the biggest complaints I hear from people is like, really, is this all we do in voice? Is like this command control, space fact, daily affirmation, like yeah. single thing. Um, I feel like we should be doing more. And so I really think over the next few years, people are gonna get more um, exposed to, oh wait, I can actually call any business logic in my skill or action. I can invoke 
any code, that means I now can tie into things like, um, you know, uh, text analytics. I can tie into translation. I can tie into um, decision logic. I can tie into all sorts of different models, even computer vision, um, and use voice mm -hmm. and computer vision together to create a truly multimodal experience. So, so that's my, my hope for the future. Um, and then, of course, that we do that, all of that, with kind of an increasing sense of responsibility in how we do those things. It, exactly. And that actually plays into the next thing I was going to ask you. So when it comes, and this is, I think, one of the, this is, I think, our first discussion, and I, I loved it so much. I was like, I need, I, I, I want to talk about this even more. So when it comes to the ethics of AI, you know, and some of these ethical questions that we need to start asking, do you think the ethics of AI are being discussed as much as they should be? Yeah, I think um, I, I am personally extremely happy with how much we're talking about them now, even compared to, I think, a year ago, um, where there are still some companies uh, that are very concerned about the impact of such discussions, which I think is unfortunate because we are very quick to judge, right? We're very quick to place blame. Yeah. Um, and and that unfortunately keeps people from having open collaborative discussions and dialogue. One, another, you know, one thing about uh, the organization that I work for um, and at Microsoft is that they're very, we're so, because we realize that our technology is very pervasive, right? It shows mm -hmm. up in so much hardware and software yep. on the planet. Um, we take a much broader vocal stand on responsibility and on ethics. We actually created an organization called Partnerships on AI, mm -hmm. um, and anyone can go out to it. And we've defined, and we actually didn't, Microsoft didn't do this in a vacuum. There's a consortium of companies that have defined these tenants for building responsible AI Good. and stand by these tenants, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I think, it, and I think it's great that there's all these companies that are kind of putting their brand on this and embedding this in the company. I know this year, I don't know what, I know that last year we had boards within Microsoft, ethical review boards, but mm. there wasn't, those boards didn't have, like, as far as I knew, they didn't have the power to like shut a model down, right? And be like, you're not going to production, mister. Yeah. Um, right, there was no, none of that. However, I saw, you know, earlier this year, our um, executive vice president of research, Harry Shum, get up on stage and say, we are now empowering those teams to make decisions, to have control. Um, and we want to set that as an example to people. Like, it's not enough just to have a review board that yeah. gives you a review and you kind of tack it on to the notes of the deployment, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this was said, but instead they are actually a gate that you must pass through to get to deployment. So, so yeah, so I see we as an organization at least are doing a really good job. Um, but also we handed out to all of our developers this really cool ruler um, as a mental reminder of what we need to be doing before we make specific uh, or do specific things in our work, like deploy a model or design Is that the ruler model. you showed me? Yes, the golden yes, rule. <laughs> which I always have to tell people, it's not actually golden, um, but it has like on the back of it, all of the golden rules of responsible AI development. Love it. And it includes yes. things like fairness, reliability, privacy and security, inclusion, transparency, accountability, right? all these words that it's not enough. To, like we have this, I have it kind of hanging up in my office so that I have, I'm staring at these kind of words all the, all the time, but it's way deeper than that, right? So that's kind yep. of part of why 
you know, I, I got very passionate about like, we need to teach people what, what does inclusion actually mean when it comes to AI? What is fairness in AI? What is, you know, what are these different things? Um, and how do you implement them? Uh, and so now I spend a lot of my time really trying to teach that to organizations as opposed to just, you know, uh, talking about it on, on a stage. Yeah. And, and, and kind of bringing that into, you mentioned inclusion. So how do you think we can more effectively work towards ensuring that, that AI and, you know, AI, I guess, let, let's lump in voice technology too, that they are inclusive and, and, you know, we, we are, these technologies aren't marginalizing or, you, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, how can we make sure yeah. that they are inclusive of everybody to, you know, everybody has accessibility and availability to these technologies and it's not just being cordoned off to a specific use case or a specific set of people. Yeah, that's right. So one of the things I, I was actually at a very large insurance company and I was shocked when the CEO and CIO of that huge company, like I'm, you know, I'm, I guess humble. I'm like, what, why are you asking me? Um, but they had turned to me and they were like, what do we do? Like, how do we prevent this? Right. We know we're already doing, mm-hmm. we're already building AI. Like how do we protect ourselves, our customers, our employees from us just not even know what we don't know. Um, and so, and my answer to that kind of intuitively was you, you have to create an, an organization within your company that is, is extremely diverse, right? That has a literally a representative from every, you know, demographic, from every uh, marginalized group, from every, you know, everybody. Um, it's close as that as you can get. So it'd be great to have someone who represents, you know, and has a heart for the disabled community and those that also understand those that are introverted versus extroverted, mm-hmm. those that have, um, you know, mental illness versus not those of cognitive disability and not like all of these things, physical, non, you know, all these things come into play. And then just on top of that, just cultural differences and then gender differences, right? How do you mm-hmm. make sure that you yep. have a team that's looking at the impact of the, what you're building and giving to the world through your software um, through the lens of everyone who might see it. And really the only way to do that is through uh, empathy. Um, and empathy only comes through the shared sharing of perspective. So if you don't have that perspective in your company, you will be very hard pressed to protect your customers against that bias, right? You have to literally yep. build that perspective and hire for that perspective into your organization. I wish I could say that organizations right that are hiring (laughs) diversely and with inclusion and therefore it would be easy pickings for them to just go in their own company and find this diverse set of people but doing this you know i think it's a great exercise no matter where you stand on the spectrum of inclusion and diversity but look around your company you should be able to easily build Mm -hmm. a team of that represents the world that you serve absolutely Um, and if you can't you know that shows you where you can start Yes, and because I, I I remember our talk in Seattle, we had a really good discussion about you know the fact that you know naturally most human beings just have some type of unconscious bias, and and the fear with right. this is is you know we're we're programming these models and we're giving it the data that it uses to learn, and ultimately, if we're programming in these different data sets and we have this unconscious bias within the data. What is that going to mean for the artificial intelligence overall? And I'm sure you've heard That's too, right. already had cases of different AIs proven to be biased towards a specific race or a specific That's group right. of people. 
So I, I think your message is loud and needs to be louder even. Right. Because this is, this is so important. And to anybody listening right now, I mean, everything Noelle said is, is it's so incredible because we are literally on the cusp of, I'm going to say it, intelligence explosion happening at some point. Yes, over the exactly. Next, you know, I, I don't want to put a time frame on it because nobody really knows. But the fact of the matter is the steps that we take now are the ones that are going to matter as the technology grows and evolves. And we need to keep that in mind as, as we develop this. So I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I just think it's really important to learn from our failures. Uh, Microsoft's super transparent and candid about the errors that we made and that, you know, because everyone in this group looked the same they never looked around and saw that they maybe needed to consider a different perspective, right? They were all agreeing with each other. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, this is good. We, we all think. think this way, right? Yeah. And, and so I think that's part of the challenge is you have to be able to um, kind of take a step back out of your world that you're in and look out, uh, look upon it as if you are your customer or as if you are, you know, someone with a different perspective. And that's very difficult to do. It's why unconscious bias exists. Uh, because we do not have the ability to kind of think uh, in this kind of abstracted way mm, yep. um, easily. But we can do it through practice. We can do it through role play. We can do it through learned experience. Um, it can happen, which is why, like I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited that companies are now interested in inviting that dialogue into their organization, some more than others. Um, but as they invite that dialogue, as they start educating their staff, as they start saying, if you look around and you see people just like you, like look for other people. <laughs> um, and, and also that we've got these models that have failed miserably um, and have mischaracterized entire populations of people. I, I think most of the world is like us, right? We don't want to build bad things, right. right? Most of the people that built these models actually thought they were good when they built them um, and were a bit heartbroken actually to find out that they had made uh, problems worse, not better. So I think, yeah, I think everybody, I think most people have a really good intention. So now it's our job, especially, you know, you and I as kind of advocates in this space to, yeah, scream a little bit louder, have the conversation more often, be willing to be open about it and not be afraid to talk about it. Because I do think that there, because of some of the press and, uh, you know, backlash yeah. that's happened at a community level, people have started, you know, people, some people have chosen not to say anything. And I think every voice should be heard and should not be judged for their contribution. No, you, you summed that up perfectly. I, the conversations need to happen. And, and like you said, luckily some organizations are really starting to focus on that and, and they need to, because from what I've been able to tell, the government really hasn't had a hand in much of any of the recent technological developments. And then of course something right. bad happens and they step in, but you know, imagine if they could be proactive about it, like with some of the things that you and I are talking about here, imagine if there could be more discussion even on a, a governmental level about the different impacts that well generally yes. are going to have, but the things that we need to be doing now in terms of how we're programming it and doing all these different things is yep. it's, it's an interesting time that we're in definitely right now for sure. So but I want to tap your voice side a bit now because I know that's also a really big passion for you. So yes, I just want to, to know what are your predictions overall for the future of voice and, and voice first? Do you think that voice assistants like Alexa, Google Assistant, Cortana, Siri are going to become as ubiquitous as a lot of people think they're going to? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I can probably, it's very interesting because I look at my life, right? Because Alexa was introduced to me, you know, five years ago uh, yeah. or four and a half years ago, a while ago. And now, you know, and most people like, for example, we just sold, or I should say Amazon just sold like a million devices, right? So there are yeah, people that are day. just entering, <laughs> right, are just entering this world for the first time five years later, right? So um, and I remember the first time I, or maybe it was the second time I got on stage and I told my story about why I was passionate about voice and why I was passionate about Alexa specifically. Um, and I remember getting off that stage and a person coming up to me saying, you could tell that talk over and over for the next decade yes. because like, this is a not going anywhere. And this was, you know, again, four and a half years ago, a not going anywhere, but B people it's going to take people years to get to a point where they're willing to kind of jump in and start using this. And we saw people that are like, Oh my gosh, you know, what, for whatever reason, don't want to use this technology. Um, but the reality is, is it's, you know, changing lives. <laughs> um, yep. It's changed certainly lives in the people that I know, which is what's made me so passionate about it. Um, but yeah, I think I, you know, I started my career obviously very early in the Alexa space where when I got on stage, I, I would ask people, you know, who knows what Alexa is or raise your hand if you have an Alexa. And of course, <laughs> no one, no one would raise their hand. And I'd, so I'd kind of have to convince them of, yeah. of the idea. Uh, and I did a lot of that through storytelling and through, um, because I have been in tech a long time and I've watched these kind of phases go through, um, you know, from client server into, you know, web to mobile. Uh, yeah. and, and I do think voice is one of these. But I, I, I think it's interesting because I, I don't remember in mobile people having this huge backlash on privacy, no. which of course mobile also had. I mean, people were getting more data than they've ever gotten before. Yeah, yeah. Mobile absolutely. devices. But yeah, but that we never really saw that. Or maybe we did and I just wasn't in that circle as I am in this one. Um, but I was surprised uh, when when you know that started happening. But I do think that we are still at the very beginning, just, just watching these device sales grow. I also think, you know, watching kind of the acquisitions that are starting to happen mm. in this space, certainly the acquisitions by Apple um, and, you know, the fact that they have obviously been in this space a long time. I use Siri every single day. Um, not more, maybe the same amount as I use Alexa because I use really Siri consistently. When I'm on the on the go, yes. And granted, I've learned to use Siri, so I know what to use her for. And so she's very consistent for me. It yeah. is very consistent. I say she. I don't mean to anthropomorphize her at all. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I use it all the time, and and wonderfully so, right? Because I don't want to be right. on my phone like clicking on things, and so I I love it. Um, but I I see voice is actually injecting itself in areas that have not easily been in, used before. So one of the things that I really like about what Microsoft did last year was they launched um, something that I struggled with when I worked in the Alexa uh, ecosystem, which is what happens when I wanna build a virtual assistant that isn't Google or isn't Alexa, that is a virtual assistant that sits inside my web application, that sits inside, mm -hmm. that is my, you know, my, like let's say, you know, my, um, I'm progressive. I think if you go to progressive, they've got this great personality flow and now they have a flow bot yep. that's like, you know, snarky and funny and, <laughs> you know, like exactly what you would expect if yeah. you knew the character. Um, and, but if they were, you know, if they were to, they could not have like a flow 
on Alexa. Like they couldn't say, hey, Flo to Alexa. They'd have to say, Alexa, talk to Flo, which is a weird kind of, you know, dual uh, personality type scenario, which maybe isn't bad, but it's not natural to me, yeah. right? Like if I, I want to be, I want to be able to, and I say this all the time on stage, you know, I want to be able to start a conversation with a company in my home on Alexa. I want to get in my car, continue it with Siri. I want to be able to go yes. to work, yes. continue with Cortana, right? And I don't want to care as a consumer where that conversation is happening, but I certainly want any data I give you to be stored in a way that it's pulled up no matter where I show up in that ecosystem. So that's my prediction and my, certainly my hope for the future is that we get to a point where, and Microsoft is a huge proponent of this, right? So they want this multi-channel hybrid cloud, right? They want an environment where we are going to the best of breed uh, vendors for what we need. So there are certain things, especially in the consumer space that Alexa does exceptionally well. There are certain things that Google mm -hmm. does yep. exceptionally well, certain things that Cortana in the workplace will do exceptionally well. Yep. Um, and why should we have to figure it out and yeah. know which one to call and be only in that space at that time? It should be ubiquitous. Yes. Um, and so I do think, you know, my friend Lisa Falkson, she wrote a book called Ubiquitous Voice. And I loved it because it is exactly like it was this vision. Um, she's much more on the natural language. I maybe get out of her as a guest sometimes. She's awesome. Um, but she she's much more uh, on this, she's a, you know, a scientist, she's a, a, a voice user interface designer. So she has done voice design since way back 10, 15 years ago before we were doing it for things like Alexa, but, but just that's the future, right? It shouldn't matter yep. uh, what device we're on, but yeah, so that's, that's my prediction. I don't know when it'll happen. Kind of like you, right? Like <laughs> who knows how this could happen probably very fast technically, right? but how long it'll take us to adopt it as a society and accept it as a society. Yeah, I think I'm pretty good on my, I could do this keynote probably for another five years. Oh, absolutely. And and I, since I've started giving my talks specifically in the voice space too, and even some of the things I do in AI, I, I get the same sentiment from people that they're like this, you could take this to so many different places for so many years because it is so new and we're just scratching the surface and people are still just trying to figure it out. And I really like right. the point you made where, you know, we shouldn't be trying to figure out, you know, what voice assistant is going to be, quote unquote, the voice assistant for the longest time. I was thinking, you know, this is going to be like the HD DVD Blu-ray format war that we were experiencing right, right. in the mid to late 2000s. But now that we've kind of gone into this another couple of years, I'm thinking the exact opposite now. You know, we need to have an ecosystem where all of these services combine and play nice with one another. And I've even been thinking for a while, you know, like you said, each voice assistant is very good at, at specific things like, you know, Alexa, definitely like your e-commerce and having like a really good experience. Google Assistant is, is search all the way. Cortana is right. business and enterprise applications. You know, there's, there's so many different things that they each can do. If they could all just work together, that is going to be the dream ultimately. And I, I agree with you. I really hope it comes sooner than later. Yes, exactly. So the last thing I, I always ask all of my guests here as we kind of wrap up, because um, I want to get your thoughts on this is what is one thing that someone can do today to begin leveraging AI or voice technology, either personally or within their organization? Oh, great question. Uh, so I went and I was almost uh, going to be like, oh, wait, before I should say this, but this is actually a great segue. Um, the one thing, you know, again, along this line of like build this one um, 
kind of interface and then channel it out to all these different platforms. We have at Microsoft this thing called the bot framework or bot service. And it allows you to create a single um, you know, code base and then use what we call channels to actually expose that code base to different channels like Google, Alexa, Teams, you know, any, any environment, Slack. It allows you to let your bot, your, your assistant show up wherever that customer is. And this, so in my mind, it is the beginning. Um, I personally uh, think it's a great way to start. We have um, some great tutorials and quick start guides available. You can just go out and uh, look up Microsoft Bot Service. You can Bing it or Google it uh, at your discretion. Um, and then the only other thing I would encourage you to do is if you wanted a little bit more handheld approach, um, we do have the AI school.microsoft.com, which is like a, it's really great. It's long though. It's like a 14 hour course, but it takes you from super simple to very complex bot development across these channels. Um, but it's more curated, right? Video based. Um, and then for those of you who are on, listening and are not super technical or devs at heart, um, but still want to get engaged and learn about this, my personal, um, my new favorite thing that I am uh, talking about and teaching is the AI Business School. Um, so AI Business School uh, at Microsoft.com. You can go and take a look at some of the things we talked about today, like AI strategy and creating an AI mm -hmm. culture, um, and most importantly, building responsible AI. No, I think those are some great first steps. And I'll be honest, I've used some of those first steps myself. Um, in fact, we may actually be using a Red Fox AI here, the Microsoft Bot Framework for an upcoming project. So I think that is absolutely fantastic <laughs> advice. And um, I know when I first started getting into the AI and voice space, I actually took some of the Microsoft courses. I think it was the Microsoft Professional Program on Artificial yes. Intelligence. That's oh, yes, that's right. Yep, and it, it's yep. an incredible course. I, I learned so much from it, and it really helped build a lot of the, the solid foundations I have, too. So I think those are fantastic tips. And there there's so many different ways, kind of like what we talked about in the beginning here, to learn anything you want to these days. And, you know, Noel and I are both are both testaments to that. If you really want to learn something, you, you can do that in 2019, and it's only going to get easier as we move forward. That's right. That's right. And, of course, you know, everyone is welcome to – connect with me on LinkedIn, shoot me a note, say you heard me on the podcast. I'm happy to have you as part of my network. And if there's anything I can do um, for any of your listeners, and of course, for you, Nick, uh, I'm so happy to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was just going to say too, what if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to do so? Yes. Yeah. LinkedIn is probably the best way. I check LinkedIn more than I check anything else. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> Only because Right. I can't help myself. Like it's such good content. It's such, it's turning out to be such a great community. What a change it's made over the last few years. Um, and then, you know, I do have uh, the AI Leadership Institute that I launched recently. You guys could take a look at it, uh, AIleadershipinstitute.com um, and my, all my contact information and all of the content channels I post on are listed there as well. So those are some great ways to keep in touch. And I certainly look forward to doing it. Yes, and follow her on Twitter because she has some amazing tweets too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Follow me on all the socials. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Noelle, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts and, and joining me on this episode. I, I had a great time chatting with you, so I, I hope you did too. Yeah, it was so fun. Thank you so much. And I look forward to, uh, you know, we'll do it again soon. Yeah, awesome. Chat soon. Chat soon. Bye. 
Artificial intelligence. Voice recognition. Machine learning. Robotics. You've been listening to the Artificial Podcast with your host Nick Myers. Nick Myers. To stay up to date with all our latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. To learn more about how your organization can benefit by unlocking the power of AI and voice, visit www.redfox-ai.com. Until next time.